Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. Chances are that many of you at one time or another owned or received a bracelet with the initials WWJD. What would Jesus do? While this question has its roots in the ancient church, the sort of personal wear which popularized the question in the 1990s is indicative of American Christianity's moralistic focus on personal behavior. Would Jesus smoke cigarettes? Would Jesus use illegal drugs? Would Jesus have sex before marriage? There's nothing inherently wrong with the question. In fact, we say at Holy Family all the time that we are trying to lead Jesus-centered lives, and that question can equip us to do so. What the passage that we heard Jacob just read invites us to do is to reframe the question and instead of asking, what would Jesus do, to wonder, what would we do if Jesus was here now? We are shown two examples, two responses to the fact of Jesus' presence. The first example comes from Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And we are familiar with them from an earlier season of Real House Churches of Jerusalem, in which Martha was throwing shade at Mary for her work ethic, complaining that as she, Martha, washed the dishes and cooked the meals, Mary just sat around contemplating the glory of God. Martha rebukes Mary with real religious conviction, expecting Jesus to side with her, I wonder if you've ever been so sure that you're in the right that even God must agree with you. 
Do you remember how Jesus responds in that story? Essentially, he says to Martha, My goodness, you must be exhausted. You're carrying a lot. Why don't you join your sister? Sit a spell, as folks used to say. The words Jesus uses, in fact, are, Mary has chosen the better part. So we have two parts, doing and being. I think one of the reasons that so many of us begin conversations with people we've just met by asking, what do you do, is because we're conditioned to focus on that part, on doing. We can do all day long and list off our various activities and accomplishments. But if someone was to ask, if we were to ask ourselves, who are you? I think most of us struggle to respond. Even our responses are likely to be oriented around doing. Oh, I'm a priest. We are not inclined to follow the advice of Mary Oliver in her poem, Wild Geese, where she encourages us to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. But that is just what Mary was doing in this earlier story and in today's story, too. Don't get me wrong. We need Marthas and Malcolms who are devoted to action, who put in the work to make sure people are fed, places are hospitable, and neither dishes nor tasks pile up. But we also need Marys and Michaels who invite us to a kind of extravagance. Be extravagant with your time, Mary declares through her behavior in the first story. Yes, Jesus says, yes. Be extravagant with your resources, Mary declares through her behavior in today's gospel. Hold up, Judas says. This perfume you just poured out all over Jesus cost how much? Do you know how impressed people would be by our ministries if we made a donation in that amount to the Salvation Army? Judas is understandably made out to be the bad guy in the Gospels, but I can relate to his perspective in this story. Luxury items, your perfumes, your designer clothes, your high-end wines, make me a little uncomfortable, especially when I think about, as Judas does, the people who don't even have enough money for a slice of pizza or somewhere to stay the night. John is a little harsh on Judas and tell, tells us that he's not really concerned about the poor, but is actually angling for a way to embezzle ministerial money. That may be the case, and he certainly wouldn't be the first person in religious history to misappropriate funds or to overstate his commitment to people in poverty. In some ways, this story today is an inversion of the one that we heard last week in which a father shares an inheritance with his sons while he's still alive. That story is about how God's extravagance makes us uncomfortable. The older son in the story represents our suspicions of grace, our inability to trust in a love without conditions, our contempt for mercy in a carceral world. 
Today's story is about how the extravagant love that others show God makes us uncomfortable. Why should Mary give all her time and resources to Jesus? Why not cash in that perfume? In his book, The Gift, Lewis Hyde describes two different economic systems, one based on money and the other based on the exchange of gifts. And while we live in some hybrid between these two, for the most part, our economy is based on money. We assign cash values to all goods and services and believe everything has a price. You want a pet tiger? There's a price for that. You want to own some land? There's a price for that. In a gift economy, however, the value that something has is ultimately connected to relationship. If I was to give you some expensive perfume, you would be aware of the trouble I had gone through to obtain it, either because I had made it myself or I had traded other valuable possessions to get it. And if our relationship was one of trust, respect, and affection, you would then find a way to return the gift, not in the form of the perfume itself, but something that was equally valuable to you. Maybe you'd bring me some vegetables that you had grown or a necklace that you had made. Judas's sin in this story could be identified as deceit and hypocrisy, but I think his real failure is his inability to recognize the value of the perfume. He only sees its cash value which means he has no appreciation for its inherent worth. One of my favorite signs of spring, which I caught a glimpse of in the last several days, are the blue bonnets and wildflowers that crop up so lavishly in patches of grass all over Texas. I can imagine Judas and others wanting to exchange all of these flowers and never seeing them again and instead just having some money. But we are immersed in extravagance. Our bodies and our lives are records of God's prodigious imagination and luxury. You will always have opportunities to do justice Jesus says. There will always be suffering and lack and confusion. But if you have an opportunity to do something extravagant for someone, do it. This week, instead of asking, what would Jesus do? Our way into a Jesus-centered life might be to ask, what would Mary do? She would pour out the perfume she would open the expensive bottle of wine. She would love lavishly as God has lavished her with love. John tells us that the perfume she used was made from a plant called nard. Nard appears earlier in the Bible in the Song of Solomon. In the first chapter, that old love poet sang these lines... 
While my king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. The Song of Solomon is one of the most beautiful works of poetry ever written, and many Christian scholars of the Bible interpret it as an allegory of Jesus' love for the church. The way the bride in the poem loves the bridegroom, this is how Mary loves Jesus. This is how we are invited to love Jesus with the fullness and abandon of our senses, so that the sweetness of scent and taste and touch of sight and sound become the places where God's extravagant love meets our extravagant response. You can find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.